there is a movement sweeping across the land where fascination, understanding, transformation, and the story come to life. Read the story. Experience the Bible. Hey, welcome to the Pastor's Bible Study this week as we continue our journey through the story, this continuous narrative uh, from Genesis to Revelation. It's been absolutely fun, a joy being with you, and I hope you are really gleaning a lot of wisdom from the Lord uh, that we can take and apply to our daily lives. There's so much, so rich. I just love the Bible so much. <laughs> and I love this <clears throat> chapter. It's actually a kind of a downer in the ups and downs of Israel. But there's so much that we can learn. There's so many important lessons. Now, uh, Sunday, uh, Pastor Jeremy had to uh, preach uh, this uh, topic all by himself. I made him do that because I was, wasn't feeling good. And so he said, I have to do the Bible study by myself this week, which I think is totally fair. Uh, but anyway, seriously, uh, we are transitioning here uh, in chapter 10 from really the dark ages of Israel's history uh, into the age of the kings. Uh, the Dark Ages were, were, of course, they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, they fought uh, the conquest of Canaan. The time of the judges that were just completing uh, was this constant cycle of, of the whole nation turning away from God and uh, God raising up people to bring them back. Well, now the, the people are going to be okay. They're going to follow their king. But now the kings are going to be the ones that are going to be struggling with this cycle of being faithful to God. We're in the book of First Samuel in the Old Testament. This is a very, uh, it's a different person. If there's one thing that we've learned throughout this story is that God is always full of surprises, isn't he? And you just can't predict what he's going to do. Uh, now first some background on how all this came about. On page 136 in your The Story uh, Bibles, or it's First Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, we read. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. Kish had a son named Saul, a handsome young man, as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. I mean, this guy looked like a king, right? Uh, now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country, but they did not find them. And they went on and on and could not find them. And when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us the way to take. It's speaking of Samuel here, and... Pastor Jeremy's sermon uh, focused a lot on Samuel. Uh, Samuel was more than just a prophet, a pastor. He was the final judge of Israel and highly respected. I mean, when he spoke, Israel listened. I mean, and he literally was a kingmaker. Now, uh, we're getting set up here for this really big contrast, right? Saul, he thinks he's out looking for donkeys, <laughs> But God is about to make him king. On page 137. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. 
About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Now, put yourself in Saul's shoes for a second. He is out looking for his dad's donkeys. And this is not a, even a, a noble uh, chore to be given to start with. Uh, and they can't find the donkeys. And so they say, hey, yeah, what the heck? We might as well ask this spiritual leader. But when they get there, Samuel takes Saul inside to like this, imagine like this beautiful banquet hall. And he serves Saul as like an honored guest, like the honored guest at this banquet. And then uh, during this seven course meal, Samuel pulls him aside and, and they're alone and he pours an oil of flask, uh, a flask of oil on his head and he whispers in his ear, God has anointed you king over Israel. Now you would say, huh? <laughs> right? uh, all I was looking for is my daddy's donkeys. <laughs> what is this all about? Well, God is full of surprises in our lives today too. And so I just want you to think about maybe what do you do when God interrupts your life and he has an assignment for you uh, and a, ta a task for you to do that you never even dreamed of before? That's what God says to Saul. He says, I got a job for you. I and mean, this is something that's never crossed your mind before. And let's see how Saul responds. Of course, he has some doubts to be expected. So Samuel gives Saul three signs. These are three promises. These three signs are going to happen to you today, and that's going to prove that this word is from God. Number one, you're going to find the donkeys, and later on in chapter 10, they do. <laughs> uh, number two, this man is going to come and bring him uh, some food, and, and that happens as well. And then the promise number three, this is on page 137, it says, after that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. And all this happens. It comes to pass. And Saul's response to this is intriguing, if not a little strange. Verses 14 through 16 here. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant. Right? Saul's uncle, he's back home. Hey, where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Wow. I mean, everybody knows who Samuel is. So his uncle said, well, tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found. <laughs> but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Now, does that, does that strike you as odd? <laughs> and maybe just for the women who are studying with us uh, today, uh, have you ever asked a man how his day was? And he left out a couple of important details. 
I mean, I think Saul is setting a new record for leaving out details in uh, his daily report. <laughs> now, we're going to see Saul uh, struggle with accepting the task that God assigns him. And uh, here are uh, here's some of the things that he struggles with. Uh, the struggles that he had included uh, a number of things we're going to get to. When we face these uh, unexpected assignments from God, I hope that you and I will be aware of these common human struggles when in such situations. Uh, number one, uh, Saul has some trust issues. Trust issues. Uh, Saul's first response to Samuel uh, anointing him is, hey, uh, no, I'm a Benjamite. I'm, I'm the smallest tribe of Israel. I'm from the smallest clan. I'm from the smallest family of the clan. Uh, now, we can't come down too hard on Saul for this because, uh, I mean, so far right, throughout the story, we have seen practically everyone God calls say, who, me? No, I can't do that. Oh, I shouldn't. Uh, Sarah, Moses, Gideon. So uh, we get that. But there's a more serious sign of trust issues here. And it takes place at his coronation. Now we're on page uh, 138, and it's 1 Samuel 10, 20 to 22. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they, stood, when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. <laughs> hidden himself. Now, you imagine it's January 20th, uh, 2024. There is a presidential inauguration going on in Washington, D.C., but the new president is nowhere to be found. <laughs> He is, he is hiding in the coat closet in the, in the Capitol building. Now, I am, I'm sure there have been many presidents who would have liked to have hidden somewhere on that day. And there were probably some who should have hidden uh, somewhere. But uh, the point is, uh, this is not a picture of a man of God just brimming with confidence, with, with total trust in what the Lord says. They find Saul. They coronate him. Saul becomes Israel's king, the very first king. And initially, everything's going really well for King Saul. His very first war was against the Ammonites. Total victory. Awesome, awesome leadership. Uh, what a great king. I mean, out of the gates, he looks so impressive. Unfortunately, that was his greatest moment. It would all go downhill from there. Uh, if you look at page, uh, the bottom of page 141, top of page uh, 142, and this is 1 Samuel 13, we see why Saul's trust issues matter so much. Because here, in this part of the story here, Israel's in a really bad situation. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmesh, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Now, first of all, the Philistines vastly outnumbered the Israelites, but they also had 
superior technological advantages. You see, it was the Philistines who controlled the entire iron technology of that region. They had weapons that Israel did not have. They had armor that Israel did not have. So the Israel army is quaking in fear. He, Saul, he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Now remember, Israel's only hope is to trust God. They, are not, uh, they don't have enough men. They don't have enough weapons. Uh, they're not equipped in any other way to win this battle. And everybody knows it. We have to trust God in this. And earlier, Samuel told Saul how it was going to happen. He said, when you get to Gilgal, wait. Wait seven days, and I will come and sacrifice to the Lord. And then God will give you the victory. Saul, your job is to wait. Got it? Got it. Right? How long are you going to wait, Saul? Seven days. What's your job, Saul? Wait. All right. We got it. Well, well, now he's in Gilgal. Seven days have come and things are falling apart. I mean, soldiers are defecting. Soldiers are hiding. Soldiers are cowering in fear. Well, Saul's job is to wait, but he can't do it. He can't trust God's word enough to just wait on the Lord. So he takes the sacrifice and he offers it himself. And you may say, well, what's the, what's the problem with that? Well, one, he's not a priest. He's the king. It's not his role. He's not allowed to do that. But specifically, God just said, this is what you got to do. Wait till Samuel to arrive and, do, and he can't do it. He took matters into his own hands. Big, big trust issues. Uh, Saul, of course, he's anxious. Uh, but like us sometimes, right, when we get anxious, and we allow that to, to make us impatient. And that ultimately brings us to disobedience. Well, as soon as he makes the sacrifice, Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? And this leads us to the second struggle <laughs> that Paul has. And we'll call it spiritual evasiveness. So it's, it's more than just disobedience, you know, spiritual disobedience. Saul struggles with spiritual evasiveness. You know, a, a person uh, who convinces people that they are submissive to God, that they listen to God, but in reality, they do not. Well, in the very next battle, Saul is given clear command from God to annihilate the Amalekites. It's the third uh, group in this chapter today. The Amalekites, the third enemy. And he's supposed to completely wipe them out, right? If you look on page 143 here, it says, But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Again, Saul clearly disobeyed God. And the implication here in this verse is that he did it for profit. Right? These were good lambs, fat calves. Right? They saved the best for themselves. Well, God sees this, and 
he says to Samuel, Man, I am sorry that I made Saul king. So Samuel, he goes to confront Saul. And, uh, you know, you know that Saul knows that he's done something wrong when Samuel shows up. Uh, kind of like any parent studying with us today. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever seen a child caught in the act, but thinks he's going to get away with it by, you know, pretending to be the, the picture of innocence and virtue? Yeah. Well, uh, we're moving on uh, beyond actually the chapter uh, in the book today, but I want to finish this arc here of Saul's life. Uh, in chapter 15, verse 13, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Saul standing there, Samuel, walking. Samuel, oh, glory, praise the Lord, praise Jesus. Uh, he's like using all this hyper-religious language. He just, he's just blowing smoke. Uh, verse 14, but Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Samuel's playing a little Columbo here, you know, like the, the master at playing dumb. Oh, Saul, oh, we're praising the Lord today. Oh, well, yeah, praise Jesus, praise his name. Oh, uh, uh, oh wait a sec, just one, one question. What, where, where did those sheep come from? And what about all those cows? Well, Saul answered, here comes the evasiveness. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. Hmm. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But, but we totally destroyed the rest. And it's all saying, oh, those cows? You know, it was the soldier's idea. I mean, what are you going to do, soldiers, right? I mean, we saved the best of them to... Uh, uh, oh, oh, to sacrifice them. Yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. To sacrifice them. To, to your God. Samuel, yeah, we're going to sacrifice them to your God. I mean, Samuel, you really should be happy about this. We're doing this for your God. And then the very next verse, Samuel says a single word to Saul. Enough. Stop. He's just stop. Saul, don't you see what's at stake? Don't you see what you're doing? Every Word that you're speaking is doing damage to you, to God's people. I mean, you're supposed to be leading these soldiers into obedience to the Lord, and you're leading them into disobedience. You're dishonoring God. And with every word, you're getting further from the truth, further from reality, and further from God. So just stop. And then... Samuel utters some of the most profound words of all time, not just in the Old Testament, but throughout mankind, because it's a truth. It's a truth that every other religion of the world just doesn't understand. He said, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. There's one God, and he cannot be manipulated by human actions. And he is ultimately concerned about your heart. God wants an obedient heart. Well, next verse, Saul said to Samuel, 
I have sinned. <laughs> I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. Uh, I was afraid of the men, and, and so I gave in to them. <laughs> well, okay, listen. Saul was afraid, but you know he still doesn't get to the heart of his issue here, the struggles that he's really having. Because it wasn't just for the soldiers. He wanted some of the plunder for himself. Uh, and so now, even when he's completely exposed... He spins things so that he doesn't look as dark as he really is. And you know what? It's amazing how humans do this all the time. Don't we? We own up. Oh, yeah. We own up to whatever we get forced to own up to. All right. We'll own up to whatever we get caught doing, but not one ounce more. Saul will not confess. And so Samuel says, verse 26, the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Now, this is a this is a crossroads moment in Saul's life, well, in in uh, obviously Israel's history too. But for Saul's personal choices that he has to make right now, he could accept God's word, you know, with humility. He could promise to do his best, uh, the best job possible with the time that he has left. He could uh, promise to make a smooth transition whoever God chooses as the next king. But instead, he grabs a hold of Samuel's robe as Samuel's, he's trying to leave. He's trying to turn and leave. And Saul is holding on and won't let go as if, you know, if he could hold on to this robe, then he could hold on to his power and his crown. Well, during that little brief but fierce struggle, he rips off a piece of the robe in, in his hand. And now uh, Samuel's this, uh, a great impromptu speaker. <laughs> he turns, verse 28, Samuel said to him, just like you've ripped my robe, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. <laughs> wow. And then here again, can you see the, the irony in his life? I mean, God calls him to be king and he doesn't want it, right? He's hiding in the coat closet. Well, now uh, God says, okay, you're going to lose your crown. And he grabs hold of it with both hands and won't let go. He never, ever gives God a submissive heart. Mm. Great lesson for us. Well, it gets sadder still. Uh, verses 34 to 35. So Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah. And until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Think about that. He never saw Saul again, and he grieved. He grieved all that Saul could have been for God, for Israel, for the people. It just wouldn't happen. Well... We're, we're uh, again, we're beyond this chapter today. We're getting into the next chapter of King David because they did live at the same time. Uh, but again, just to continue the arc of Saul's life, let's finish his story um, and, and look a little bit of the interactions with David here. Now, later, uh, God is going to send Samuel to anoint David to be king. And we're going to hear about that in the next two chapters, the next two weeks of our story Bible readings. But let's look at Saul's struggles here. The third one I see uh, is envy. 
All right, when David comes into the picture uh, and for the rest of his life, Saul keeps an envious eye on David. Let me a quick example here of how jealous Saul is of David. He actually allows David to marry his daughter for the only purpose, for the sole purpose, so that she can kill him in his sleep. Now, dads with daughters, think about how twisted that is. And uh, how did this come about? I think it's kind of next week, but, uh, you know, David and Goliath, David kills the giant, uh, the Philistine army and wins that battle for Israel. Well, the prize for beating Goliath was two things. Number one, David's family doesn't have to pay taxes ever again, which is huge. That's amazing. And the second prize is that David gets to marry the king's daughter. Well, Saul goes to David and he says, I know you're a shepherd, you're from a shepherding family, and I know you don't have the money to pay for the dowry of a king's daughter. So here's what you can do. <laughs> Bring me the foreskins of 100 Philistines, and that will be your dowry. Uh, and yeah, he's asking him to do exactly what you think he's asking him to do. Uh, why would he be asking David to do that? Because Saul assumes that in this uh, effort to collect these, uh, the Philistines are going to kill him. <laughs> There's no way he's going to do this and survive. And so Saul wouldn't have to kill him. Boom. Done. Well, David says, no problem. And he actually brings him not 100, but 200 <laughs> Philistine foreskins. <laughs> well, <laughs> that plan didn't work. And uh, in verses, uh, chapter 18, uh, verses 28 to 29, uh, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. There are actually uh, three times that are recorded uh, where Saul tried to kill David. And one time he threw a spear at him. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had a bad relationship with your boss, but uh, did he ever try to spear you? I mean, and David kept showing up to work every day. And so over the next 10 chapters in 1 Samuel, Saul continues this dark, dark descent. And every time Saul tries to get David, the Lord is with David. And so Saul lives in a private hell of fear and jealousy and hatred and insecurity and isolation. It's, it's, it's a hellish existence because that's what sin does to people. And that's why God hates sin so much. That's why we must never make light of our sins. Well, uh, let's fast forward to 10 chapters. 1 Samuel chapter 28. Here is the final descent of Saul. Now Samuel was dead. The, the great prophet, the last judge. Uh, beloved, respected by all. And so all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Now they are crying, they are weeping for the wonderful man that Samuel was, for all the wonderful things and service 
and obedience to God and service to the people uh, that Samuel had done for Israel. They're weeping for him, unlike the weeping that Samuel did for Saul, which is of what he could have been. Hmm. Well, verse 4, Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. Well, he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or by urims. Urims are these uh, tools like dice, some of the priests would use to discern God's will, uh, or by prophets. So Saul said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. Oh, there's one in Endor, uh, they said. Now this word uh, medium is uh, more literal. It's a woman who has a pit. Okay, what is that all about? Well, here's how this worked. Uh, someone would uh, find a cave that had a fissure in the floor and they would basically set up a table and they would claim to have access to spirits who were down in the underworld. And Saul had outlawed this. And he said, hey, God does not want us to do this. But here's one of his other struggles. Really, uh, he always, He'll violate his own standards. Anyway, uh, times are really bad now uh, here with the nation of Israel. Philistine army is uh, assembled, and he is beyond scared. He's beyond desperate. And now uh, what we're going to see here is actually very comical. Right? Saul, Saul goes in disguise to this witch of Endor right? because he's, out, he's outlawed <laughs> witches and, and mediums in this kind, of, this kind of practice. Samuel's dead. The Lord's not answering uh, and so this is what he resorts to. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Oh, surely you know that Saul, had, what, what he's done, he has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Now, he's like, uh, the king won't find out about this. You know, wink, wink. <laughs> it's hilarious. I think it's more funny. Uh, now, remember, the idea here is this woman is a fake. Most about everybody knows this. And uh, it's just like many scammers today. Maybe if you remember the old... Uh, telemercials, you know, late at night, call 1-900, the psychic hotline, all this stuff. Uh, just like all the scammers today, everybody knew she was a fake. But there are so many people who are hurting. There are grieving people uh, who would come to her, who would come to her cave. And then she would take them to the pit and, and she would say, okay, uh, look down there. Uh, do you see them? And they'd be like, no. Well, I see them. So... Tell me what you want me to ask them. I'll tell you what their answer is. You pay me, right? That's the deal, right? And it's a sham. Well, Saul asks to speak to Samuel. And so she does her little dance or words or whatever her routine is. And she asks for Samuel to speak to her. Verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice. Ah! 
And then she said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. <laughs> I mean, she screams out. She's terrified. Now, why would the witch be crying out here? Well, it's because someone actually appeared. That had never happened before. I mean, she's completely freaked out by this. Well, Samuel appears, and he's a little testy. <laughs> and so he tells Saul what's going to happen to him. And it's not good. God's patience is out. His time of ruling is over. Tomorrow in the great battle, he will die. And that is exactly what happened. That's the end of Saul's story. And I'm left asking, how did we get here? How could someone so tall fall so hard? How could someone who stood so tall now fall to the lowest pit? From anointed king to sneaking around to get fraudulent advice for God's people. How did we get there? Well, we talked about all Saul's struggles but really it all, they all boil down to one, that wholehearted allegiance that I talked about. Saul never gives God wholehearted allegiance. Saul took a little religion from here, a little religion from there, but he never fully devoted his heart to the Lord. And that's going to be a tr uh, the, the, the trouble and the cycle with all of the kings of Israel and Judah, except for the next one, David. Uh, David gives his whole heart to God. Uh, all the other kings... A little bit of Yahweh, a little bit of Baal, a little bit of Molech, a little bit of all these other gods. But David gives his whole heart to God. Now, David was far from perfect. Uh, he, he struggled mightily. And we're going to talk about that, and I, I know, uh, next week. But uh, for all of his, his sins and, and, and missteps, he always returned to the Lord and confessed. Fell on his knees, confessed to God. And that's why God said he was a man after his own heart. Well... Uh, Saul never set out to be bad, right? He just never got around to giving God his full devotion. Mm. And I just hope that you don't make the same mistake. I hope that if God sets a task before you, that you don't go hide in the closet, <laughs> right? As, as Pastor Jeremy uh, talked about in a sermon Sunday, right? That you are listening, that you are attuned to God's voice. I hope that if God asks you to, to wait on something today, that you don't give in to your anxiety and do something stupid. I hope that if you've been disobedient to God, that you don't spin it, you don't downplay it, uh, you don't be evasive. You just fall on your knees and confess it. I hope that if envy is choking your heart today, that you will let God do surgery on you that you will focus on gratitude and the blessings that God has given you. I hope that if God tells you it's time to let go of something, that you, it really doesn't belong to you in the first place anyway, that you don't cling tight to it. You just release it. And I hope that you give God your full devotion. Most of all, I hope and I pray that when you come to the end of your life, I hope that people will weep the tears of Samuel and not the tears of Saul. That they weep because of who you were, 
how you were devoted to the Lord and served his people, your family, and not weep for what you could have been. Great lessons be learned from King Saul, a tragic tale, uh, but really important things uh, that we all struggle with as humans. All right, God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.